Grace, mercy, and peace to you. O God, our Father, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The magazine uh, Psychology Today published an interesting study on forgiveness last year. They presented a group of people with two scenarios. I'm going to present them to you. Okay, scenario A, listen carefully. You walk into a restaurant to meet up with some friends for lunch. You overhear your friend Lauren, who's facing away from you when you enter, say that she doesn't really like your phone case. You immediately catch Lauren's eyes at that moment. Lauren then says to you, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. It was out of line. Scenario B, you walk into a restaurant to meet up with some friends for lunch. You overhear your friend Lauren, who's seated facing away from you when you enter, that you just have the worst taste. You immediately catch Lauren's eye in that moment. Lauren then says to you, no offense, but it's true. Now think about the following questions. In which scenario would you be most likely to forgive Lauren? In which scenario would you be most likely to get angry at Lauren? In which scenario would you be more likely to feel betrayed by Lauren? In which scenario would you be more likely to want to continue your friendship with Lauren? And in which scenario would you be more likely to plan some kind of revenge against Lauren? Well, if you're anything like the adults in their study, then the second scenario is uh, more likely to get under your, under your skin. The one where you overheard Lauren saying that you just had the worst taste. They were less likely to forgive Lauren. They were angrier at Lauren. They felt betrayed by Lauren. They did not want to continue their friendship with Lauren. And many of them wanted to get uh, some kind of revenge against Lauren. The answers turned out to be dependent on three things. The intensity, the target, and the apology. In both cases, your friend, so-called friend Lauren slighted you, right? But in the first scenario, it was relatively minor. She didn't like your phone case. Well, it be a big deal. The slight was directed at your property, that she was a person. And Lauren gave you a nice, gushy apology. But the second scenario had some bite. The insult was clearly directed at you as a person. And it was kind of mean. You just have the worst case. That stinks. And instead of an apology, she gave you the old, uh, no offense, but it's true. Seriously, Lauren? Well, the basic findings were this. A strong transgression was harder to forgive than a minor transgression. That makes sense. Transgression against you as a person was harder to forgive than a transgression uh, not directed at you as a person. Good to know. And third, the presence of an apology barely mattered. Now, that was very surprising to me. The only time an apology seemed to matter uh, at all was when the participants were asked if they'd be willing to stay friends with, with the offender. And the only people who decided to plot any kind of revenge against Lauren was a very small percentage. Um, there were people who had already scored as uh, jerks is the way it was described in a previous previous test. So uh, we'll toss that one aside. The conclusion was that we should do our very best not to trespass against others to begin with. Uh, don't insult others in major ways. Don't insult others in personal ways. And don't waste your breath on an apology. When it comes to personal slights, it seems to make very little difference. But then, 
That one's the one that's surprising to me. You know, it seems to me that one of the reasons people for, refuse to forgive someone is because that other person has never offered them an apology, right? But this study might indicate that that's just an excuse because we're really not uh, ready or willing to let it go anyway. Food for thought, maybe, right? Especially in light of Jesus' command today, forgive freely and forgive often. Now, regarding our gospel lesson this morning, the Jewish concept of forgiveness, even these days, is threefold. And it's the responsibility of the offending person to initiate the process. The most basic kind of forgiveness is forgiving another's indebtedness. If the offender has made restitution, the offended person should forgo the debt and relinquish his claim against the debtor. It doesn't mean uh, reconciliation or an embracing of the offender. It's simply reaching the conclusion that the debtor has satisfied the debt. It's on the order of a modern party. And the crime remains. Only the debt is forgiven. Now, if the person injured feels the offender is not sincere in his or her repentance, or feels no remorse for what he's done, forgiveness can be withheld as long as the offended person is not cruel in their demands for restitution. Uh, it's a principle called the great Jewish note to easy forgiveness. It's described as core to the Jewish view of forgiveness. Just as desiring to abstain from sin is core to the Jewish view of repentance. Without good grounds, the offended person should not forgo, that is, forgive, the indebtedness of the sinner. Otherwise, the sinner may never truly repent and evil will be perpetuated. If there are good grounds, then the person is morally obligated to forgive. No group punishment required. The second kind of forgiveness is the forgiveness of the heart, an act of the heart, they call it. It has to do with feeling empathy for the troubledness of the sinner. Not really a reconciliation, but a realization that the person who offended you is only human, uh, frail, and deserving of sympathy. It's described as closer to an act of mercy than an act of grace. It's a higher level of forgiveness. But still, no group hug. The third kind of forgiveness is atonement or purification. It's the total wiping away of all sinfulness, and it can only be granted by God. No human can atone for the sin of another. Now, from our standpoint, it may be another reason why the atonement of Jesus, you know, on the cross for the sins of the whole world, uh, is such a foreign concept for uh, ancient and even modern-day Jews uh, to understand. On the other hand, if a person is truly repentant and has made restitution and has still refused forgiveness, then he should go to that person asking for forgiveness once, twice, three, and finally four times. If forgiveness is still withheld after the fourth time, the offender is off the hook and the person refusing to forgive becomes a sinner. Now these are derived from ancient laws that were passed down, uh, what's called the oral law, uh, for centuries. Uh, they may have evolved in some details uh, over that time by the uh, interpretations of various rabbis who, who are famous for doing these things. But I think even Peter would have had their sense. And so when he goes to Jesus asking, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. He was being pretty generous. Now, Jesus' answer, not seven times, but 70 times seven, would have been out of the park. Christian forgiveness is to be total 
and unconditional, at least as far as we can accomplish that being human. It's supposed to be the model of forgiveness shown to us by God. Not just in mercy, but out of grace. Total and undeserved. And on top of that, he promises not only to forgive us, but to forget something that, that's beyond what we could ever manage to accomplish, but it's a pretty worthy goal, I guess, nonetheless. And we need to be repentant. We need to change the direction of our lives and turn back toward God and turn back to God's ways. We should want to make restitution. We should want to ask forgiveness from the people we offend. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but as a response to try and, and please our, our loving God. Now, from our, our sinful side, our sinful natures, we'd love to be able to set the rules so that God will only forgive someone who sins against us when we say so, when we determine when that person is truly repentant. You know, when we decide how much restitution, monetary uh, or otherwise, has reached the level that, that we set on our hurt feelings or our emotional abuse or physical abuse or betrayal or you know, whatever, whatever it happens to be. Or maybe we don't believe in, in grace or mercy for someone who does us wrong. And we say that, not with our words always, but with our actions. You know, we say it's just not fair otherwise, that everyone should be held accountable for their sins, especially those who sin against us, right? But God has the last word. And God says, paid in full by Jesus' atonement. I wouldn't have to. He could tell us, well, if that's what you believe, then that's the way I'll treat you too. And we kind of recognize that kind of fairness every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, don't we? We ask God to forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. We're asking God to forgive us in the same way we forgive others. That means God, if, if we refuse to forgive someone, don't forgive us either. Treat us like we believe people should be treated. That's not something we really want, is it? Satan wants us to believe we have a right to refuse to forgive someone who deliberately harms us. As a right. Especially when that, that harm is, 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 is repeated and, and the offender shows no repentance and doesn't even care about whether or not we forgive them. He wants us to imagine how satisfying it would be to hold a grudge against that person or even try to get revenge. That's something with spiritual poison. When we forgive others as God forgives us, then we're the ones who are blessed by that. There's some good reasons to give forgiveness a high priority in your life. From a, a practical standpoint alone, learning to forgive is healthy for our minds and bodies. You know, modern research is discovering and affirming over and over again that what Jesus said of was right about the benefits of forgiveness. Dr. Robert English is a developmental, developmental psychologist in Wisconsin. He's also a Christian who was raised in, in the teachings of Jesus about tolerance and forgiveness. But he wondered if forgiveness could be proven to help patients in a hospital or a, a therapy clinic. So he designed ways to include forgiveness in therapy sessions so that he could study its effects. He discovered that the forgiveness therapy group showed greater improvement in emotional and psychological health than the group that didn't focus on forgiveness. Similar work is being done at the Stanford Forgiveness Project. They're discovering that anyone from betrayed spouses to victims of terrorism can help heal themselves through the practice of forgiveness. It can boost the immune system, 
uh, relieve stress, lower your blood pressure. You'll sleep better at night, along with all the benefits you enjoy from that. Forgiveness is good for the mind and the body. Now, for those of us who have baptized, been baptized into faith in Jesus, there's an even bigger reason to let it go. We forgive because that's what Jesus told us to do. He knew all along what was best for us, physically and spiritually. It's a sad fact that it's often hard to tell the Christians in the world from everyone else. But there's that one place we should easily look different. Christians should be forgivers. And that should show. Jesus made his point with Peter by telling him a story that related to the kingdom of heaven. It was a story of a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now, servants in this story wouldn't have been the, the, the butler, the chambermaid, or the landscaper. Uh, there's just too much money involved. Uh, probably would have been provincial governors or people who servants who were lords in their own right. Uh, there's just too much money at stake. Uh, millions and millions of dollars, tens of millions maybe. So he brings this man before him, owed him a sum of 10,000 talents. A talent was a measure of weight. And back then, coinage would vary a little from culture to culture, but it was always comparatively high. Historians generally put a, a talent in first century Galilee at somewhere between 60 or 70 pounds. Now, it could be based on silver, or it could be based on gold. Uh, it would take a common laborer 60 million days to earn 10,000 talents. Uh, so, uh, to put it into further perspective, the first century uh, tax revenue from all of Judea and Samaria was only something like 600 talents. Uh, Herod Antipas, a king of the region, received about 200 talents each year from Galilee and Perea. Uh, there was no chance that a debt of 10,000 talents would ever be able to be repaid, ever. And yet in the story, when threatened that the servant and his family would be sold into slavery to help the king recoup that loss, the pleading of the man touches the, the king's heart and the debt is completely forgiven. Now that can only happen as a result of the king's goodwill. The result of his, his grace. Now the twist in the story comes when the forgiven servant runs into another man who owes him just 100 denarii, or about 100 days pay. Uh, actually, Jesus said that the man went out and found him. In spite of the pleas of this relatively minor debtor, for a little more time to repay what was owed, the man shows no mercy and instead sends him off to debtor's prison. Well, it doesn't take long for word of that to get back to the king. And in his righteous anger at a man who had just received such generous grace from him, refusing to show just a grain of that grace to someone else, he reverses his decision and reinstates the debt. Up to this point, Peter may have thought it was a pretty amusing story, but then Jesus slams home his point. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, not just from the lips, but from the heart. Uh, it has to be, has to be genuine. Uh, empty words will never be enough. And God knows the difference. And the parable repeats that admonition with such a huge contrast in order to, to emphasize the the, the point that see, we owe a huge debt, didn't we? Uh, payment for all our sins. So large that we could never live long enough to, to balance it out with all the good we might be able to do. But by grace, we've been forgiven through faith in Jesus. 
by the power of the gospel, that same good news, you and I have been empowered to forgive others. And, and, and without excuse. And finally, we forgive because, well, we've been forgiven. See, forgiveness changes everything. It changes the situation. It changes the perspective. It changes the other person. And it all began when God changed you and he brought you up out of the waters of holy baptism, a new person in Jesus Christ. And he does it again every time you walk away from the communion table. And he does it again every time you confess your sins and hear his words of absolution. You come away from that moment a new person. You walk away forgiven. Because the enormous price for all our sin was paid in full Calvary by the suffering and death of God's Son. That's the message of the cross. You know, it's the reason that an instrument of torture and humiliation and death became the symbol of Christianity. Jesus became a sacrifice for us. When he was nailed to that cross, God nailed our sins there right along with him. You know, nobody has to go to hell when they die. Our Lord's sacrifice was a once and for all payment for the sins of the whole world. Uh, but God's word tells us that a lot of people will go to hell because they reject his free gift of faith uh, and forgiveness and forever in heaven because they're not willing to be changed. And they'll arrive there with their hatred intact because they rejected Jesus in favor of, I don't know, lust over love or self-centeredness over selflessness or, or maybe spite over God's forgiving spirit. It's going to happen. But it doesn't have to happen to you. This morning's lessons are called to examine yourself. Uh, if you find an assortment of those useless black feelings, or even just one, you know, turn to God in prayer. Talk to him about it. Then leave it at the foot of the cross and walk away refreshed and restored, ready to face a new God with a new life. It's God's promise. And you can do it through God's power because in the end, it's God's gift. Amen. Now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding in your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.